0: Hey everyone, I'm your host Patrick, and this is Not Adding Up. This episode is on an entirely new case, so I have a new co-host with me this time. I have my good friend Johnny here, and I'm going to let her introduce herself.
1: Hi everybody. I'm Johnny. I'm super freaking excited to be here.
0: So before we get into the background of this case, I'm actually going to start us with a 911 call that was made at 3:41 on November 19th, 2011. Operator, what is your emergency? Motorist, yeah, there is a car broke down on 77 North. Operator. Okay, where on I-77 North. Motorist. On the 181 or so. The lights are on. It's up against the guardrails. Something's going on, but I couldn't see anybody. It's pretty cold out, so I don't know what's going on over there. Operator. Can you give me a vehicle description like red car or blue truck? Motorist. All I know is it's a car. He has his headlights on. He's right by the car. He's up against the guardrail, so there's something going on over there, but I couldn't see anybody standing around. So, you know, the car or the people, I just couldn't see, but the lights are on, so there's something going on over there. Operator. Can I have your name, sir? Can I have your name, sir? Click. The call ends. Definitely an odd 911 call, and definitely odd that he ended it before giving the name. So, that was. The first 911 call that was made regarding the incident we're going to cover. But before we get more into the incident, I'm going to get into the background and the individuals involved. And the main individual involved in this case is Jalea Davis. Jalea lives in Marietta, which is a small town near the Ohio River north of Parkersburg, West Virginia. Some sources associate this incident with Williamstown, which is a small town four minutes away in West Virginia. So it's like she lives, it's, some sources are saying that they lived in Ohio, and I, some sources were saying that they lived in West Virginia. It's weird, but it's just I think it's because the area that they lived in was just like, it's so close both ways. Like, you could be three minutes in Ohio and like across the bridge and you're in West Virginia. So I think it was just depending on how they were talking about it.
1: Wait, what city what,
0: what did you say this was in? They, it's in Marietta, Ohio, which is north of Parkersburg, West Virginia. And it was also associated with Williamstown, West Virginia, which is close, very close to Marietta, Ohio. Parkersburg is not quite as close. Parkersburg is a little north. Now, Jalea was a beautiful young woman. She was 20 years old. She was working at a local mall at a Hollister, which I'm like, if you work at a Hollister, I'm sure you have to be really pretty because I know that the people that they have working there, they have, like, standards for. And the owner has said some, like, controversial things that their like, clothing isn't for ugly people and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Which is like, oh, he is really not in the position to say that people in glass houses should not show stones. But she was working at a Hollister and she had aspirations to become a cosmetologist. Now, at the time, one of her best friends in her life was her sister, Tobby, And they were very close. Toby was a year younger than Jalea, but they were described as inseparable. They would tell each other everything. They were just like, just best friends and siblings. This case begins on November 18th, 2011, when Jalea was leaving home for a night out with some friends. These friends were named Kirsten, Katie, and Freddie. I'm gonna leave out last names other than Jalea's in this case, just because this case is an quote-unquote open case, it's been closed by police, but her family still considers it very open, and there are still some very strong accusations being made against these three, some of which I personally kind of believe but I don't want to throw any I don't want to throw these harsh accusations against these people's first and last name without knowing like for sure that they were involved in any um, malicious way so that's why I'm going to leave out their last names in this case a lot of the sources I'm getting are from a justice for Jalea Facebook and her mom posted a lot of the police reports which have their full names so if you're really interested you can go and find them yourself but i just wanted to explain why i was not including last names in this case so her family says that she was not friends with kirsten or this group for very long before this night out was planned but they didn't think anything super weird of it they were around her age and they just thought that she was trying to make some new friends so she left her house around 5 to 6 p.m and the last her mother hears from her is at 9 p.m and at this she
1: lived with her mom
0: she was living with her mother and sister is what i am Getting from this case, yes. Um, So at nine p.m., she talks to her mom. Everything's fine, and she was talking to Toby up until midnight, and then she stopped responding on text messages, which like kind of worried Toby a little bit. She said that she would expected her. She would have expected her to respond to the message that she sent Jalea, but it was nothing too worrisome because she was like she's out with her friends. Like she may not be with her phone. But then at 3.28, Toby receives a phone call from Jalea, asking her to come pick her up at a nearby BP. So I kind of left this out, but the night out that Jalea and her friends were going, they were going to Parkersburg, West Virginia, which is why I mentioned that earlier. So it's not, they are not directly where the Davises are living. The BP is going to be closer to Parkersburg and closer to the places where they were that evening. Mm Mm-hmm. So this BP was on Emerson Avenue, which is located in Parkersburg, West Virginia, like I said. Toby said that Jalea sounded upset on the phone. She didn't get anything out of her, but she could just tell, she. like I said, they're best friends. She knows her sister. So of course she's like, okay, I'm going to come and get you. Like, I don't care that it's 3.30 in the morning. Like, I'm, I'm going to get ready. So Toby and her friend leave, or are getting ready to leave, to go pick up Jalea at this BP. She calls back five minutes later to make sure that Toby is on her way. And this time she sounds more upset, and she changes the location of the rest stop to a rest stop in Williamstown by GoMart, which is closer to where they live. So she calls her back after five minutes of telling her sister to come pick her up, changes the location, sounds more upset, and it's getting closer to where they live.
1: Do you know how much closer?
0: I'm not sure of, like, the exact mile that it was closer but I just know that it was in the distance like she was traveling towards home when she was making these phone calls or at least the distant or the locations that she was telling Toby to pick her up were getting closer to home.
1: You think traveling by car or foot fast?
0: It appears that it was by car. So during the second call made at 333 she said she was on the interstate so that appears that she was in a car and she also heard Jalea asking kirsten about her keys now i can't say for certain that she was asking kirsten specifically about her keys she said she overheard somebody in the background and she was talking about kirsten so she can only assume that it was kirsten and that the argument was taking place over the keys between Jalea and kirsten the last phone call between Jalea and toby takes place just eight minutes before the first 911 call about the incident came in
1: Wait, wait wait say that again
0: so the last phone call between Jalea and Toppy, it took place just 8 minutes before the first 911 call that I'd already I just read to start this episode. Oh. So only 8 minutes after Jalea was on the phone telling her sister, her best friend to come pick her up, she was found dead. We're going to get into the incident now and I just wanted to give a very very graphic content warning over what I'm about to go over. I'm going to go over some 911 calls, and I'm going to go over the description of her body and the uh, damage that was done. So, trigger, warning, skip a minute or two. Okay, now I'm going to read a second 911 call. This call was made at 3.48 a.m. on November 19th, 2011, and this one is a lot longer, so bear with me. 911. What is your emergency? Motorist. Sir, I'm at the 181 mile marker northbound on I-77. I cannot make a confirmation of this right now. I'm walking back. I think I had just seen a human body laying on the highway, sir. 911. Okay. And you walked away from your vehicle? Motorist. I'm getting out of my vehicle and I'm walking back where I see the person. 911. And you think you're at 181? Motorist. 181 mile marker, sir. I haven't confirmed it yet. 911. Okay, what is your name, sir? motorist my name is blank this man gives his name but i'm going to admit it we drove by and you know how it's dark and you can't see but i'm just pretty sure it might have been a person gosh i really don't want to walk back there you know what i'm saying 911. i understand what you're saying and if you don't feel comfortable doing it sir you don't have to stay where you are and i'll have somebody come up there motorist i'm getting closer to it i hope it's a dear sir i really am but i I'm pretty sure I saw what I saw. Aw, man. In fact, here comes some other people. I don't know if you're getting more phone calls. Two other guys just stopped here at the bottom of the hill. Aw, man. Okay, sir. Do you know know your cell phone number? Is it blank? I'm getting closer to it. Oh, man. I hope it's a deer. I'm hoping I can't. I got my boy. 911. In any way... It seems like the transcript is a little uh, blurry here. It says, in any way, blank, hit, blank. Did you pull along the side of the guardrail, sir? Murderist. Yes, sir. I'm pulling around. I'm pulling along the side of the guardrail. There is a chemical tanker truck that just pulled over. I'm getting closer to it. There is a s- semi tanker truck that's coming at me right now. No, stay over there, truck driver. Stay over there. Stay over there. Stay over there. Oh my God. I can't get over here in traffic. Yes, sir. Confirmation. Human body. Oh my God. Nine one one. Do you want to check if it's a, if this person is still alive or still breathing? Motorist. Sir, there are parts of him. I can't. Oh my god. Oh my god. 911. Sir, turn around and don't look at him, okay? Turn around and don't look at him. Motorist. Oh my god. Sir. Sir. You need to hurry up and get people out here, please. 911. Okay, we got people on the way, sir. Motorist. Can I start stopping traffic? This might be a crime scene, right? 911. Do you have a flashlight? I don't want you getting hit motorist yes i do no no another person just hit him oh my god oh my god oh my god if you can get the county sheriff department out here as soon as possible sir Nine one one. one sheriff department is on the way so is the fire department and an ambulance motorist okay there is a tanker driver who just pulled in front of me there is a vehicle i can not one one. one can anybody turn their hazard sights on put as much light on the situation as possible motorist well most of us already past it, sir. I'm getting kind of like, sir, this is a crime scene. I'm just positive. I see it. This is a crime scene, sir. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. This is unreal. This is unreal. This is unreal. 911. Sir, you said you were with your son? Motorist. Yes, my son is with me. Kind of like a crime scene. 911. He's not out there walking around with you, is he? Motorist. See his shirt? There's his head and skull right there. See it. Oh, Oh, oh. 911. Is the head not attached to the body? Motorist. No, sir. Part of the head is right over there. I need you to get over here right now. I need you to get over here. Motorist. The sheriff department is here. He's getting ready to block both lanes, sir. 911. Okay, sir. You can go ahead and talk to the deputy. Motorist. Yes, thank you, sir. 911. Yes, sir. End of recording.
1: Not me about to cry.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I had full body chills reading through that. Like, I've obviously read it. um, I've read it not aloud, but just reading it aloud fully It just, like, really puts you right there where he was and experiencing that scene. So right away, let's talk about the fact that he was convinced that it was a crime scene. He kept going back to that fact. This was a crime scene, this was a crime scene. This isn't confirmed or not, but he, whenever he was mentioning the two cars, or the two people that pulled up at the end of the highway that he saw, this could have been Tabi, because she eventually comes up to the scene on the highway. And at this point, the sheriffs have it blocked off, so there's clearly some sort of accident. Tabi says she knew right away that something awful had happened to Jalea. Trigger warning, we're going to get into a little more description of how she was found.
1: Um, the the motorist thought it was a a male on the road?
0: Yes, he reported that it was a male on the road. That's how disfigured her body was. Trigger warning once again. Jalea was discovered naked from the waist up. She had reportedly been decapitated. Her right breast was missing, and one of her legs was broken in half. And she also had no shoes on, but she she was wearing underwear and jeans. Her car was found three tenths of a mile uphill keys still in the ignition car on all of the doors were locked the passenger side window had been smashed through and there was a large crack in the windshield the passenger side of the car had a large scrape along the side of it but considering the condition her body was found in this car was not nearly as beat up as you would assume it would be for an accident to take this toll
1: could you did they say if they could see the car at the crime scene or was it like behind some trees? Or- so it was
0: still on the interstate. It was just up the road. The I think it was in the 911 call. He said it, there's a car up the road off to the side. And I think that may have been her car, but they definitely recovered her car uh, at the crime scene. So if the condition of her body isn't enough to raise questions, her bra, shirt and jacket were all neatly hanging on the guardrail one laying under the other in that order so it went bra shirt jacket so her mother says she was unable to even identify jalea when she found her that's how badly the body was disfigured after the family and the police leave the scene after the accident jalea's bad ass grandfather returns to do some investigating of his own
1: to the crime scene to the
0: crime scene on the interstate He took multiple photos and documented everything that he could. He even found an unexplained footprint. But this was the same night, too. This was. So the night that it happened was at like three in the morning. They were called to the scene that next morning. It's probably like eight to ten is when he returned. So it was the same morning of the incident. He found that footprint. So this is a quote from this man. I just loved him so much in the documentary that I watched on this case. It said, "I got my camera and I took pictures of everything. I'm a backwoods man and I know how to hunt. I even remember seeing a footprint in the gravel, which he took very clear documentation of.
1: It's pretty. I'm not gonna. It's pretty impressive to see a footprint
0: in, in gravel. And just the fact that we'll talk about a little more what he did, but it's he really was doing everything that he could to, like, find out what happened to his granddaughter. And it just like really pulls the heartstrings because he went above and beyond. There is a conclusion reached." on the incident by police after a 16th month investigation. And I have to say that this investigation seemed pretty thorough. So everything that I talk about that's suspicious around the case, like obviously this is my own speculation. I can't say that any of this, what I say is fact. I can't even, we can't even confirm honestly that what the police are saying is fact based on what the family feels. So this is a situation where like Truly, nobody knows what happened, and the police are using the experts they have on hand to piece all of the pieces they can together and form the most comprehensive picture that they can. So, this is what they conclude
1: 16 months after later.
0: 16 months, over a year. So, Jalea died due to a single car accident where she was driving intoxicated, crashed her vehicle, was ejected from her vehicle, and then was hit by a semi truck.
1: Ejected backwards?
0: So she, we're going to get into that. She was ejected from the passenger side window.
1: But the car was 0. 0.3 miles up the road. Is that up what the said? Uphil, Up the road. Uphill. Uphill.
0: Okay. And another thing that I was going to get into later, but we'll just talk about now, is there were acceleration marks found at the scene. So Where
1: her body was. Where correct. her
0: body was. So like how could the car have been accelerating if her body was getting forced out of it unless there was somebody else in the car?
1: Or if there was another car
0: or if there's another car involved in the accident, that seems less probable because the damage to the vehicle is all along the one side and it is where she hit the guardrail. So the damage to the vehicle does line up with the supposed crash. It just doesn't line up with the severity of it all and how it would have caused the injuries that it did.
1: But, like, if there was another car that originally, like, if she got out of the car and went down the road some ways, like, walking, was able to stand, and there was another car car involved that originally hit her and then gassed it after they hit her
0: so you're thinking somebody like ran over her body as she was walking on the interstate or
1: something something so like what that, it like is it is confirmed hit and run incident like that say again what like, kind of like a hit and run incident
0: um it's confirmed that her body was hit by at least one semi and that But there is at least one semi-truck driver who pulled over after. We don't know if it's the same one that hit her or somebody who just saw the scene and was like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And he came up to the scene not long after the uh, 911 call that I was reading ended. He came up to the policeman and the first reporter that we were, or the second reporter that we were reading. The first reporter is the one that we didn't really have much from. He just said that there was a car crashed and there's the lights on and then click. Which is, that that just never... And he,
1: that man reported he saw a man standing against the guardrail as well.
0: Let me check on that. Yes, he did. He said, all I know is it's a car. He has his headlights on. He's right by the car. He's up against the guardrail. So there's really something going on over there. He, he, he. So the second call you can understand because the body was so disfigured that he missed... Uh, like mistook it for a man, but yeah. that one is, seems a little. And it also seems like she could have, like that's just describing a body that is quite possibly alive.
1: Yes, exactly. Like that person is standing up, standing and by the guardrail in the probably car, probably st- looking at something because they said there's something going on. So they're probably, like, actively invested in looking at something.
0: So that's a good catch that I wasn't really aware of when I was doing this research. So her blood alcohol content was found to be at .19, which is over two times the legal limit. And despite numerous, numerous questioning to multiple people, she had no drugs in her system. The police would not let that go. They kept harping on the fact to all of her friends. Was she on drugs? Was she known to do drugs? They all said no. Her family said no. Everybody said no. They wouldn't let it go. But there were no drugs found to be in her system.
1: It, would they the, did they let it go after they got that report?
0: Yeah, they or? weren't. They just were very harping on the fact, like they were trying to, kind of insinuate that she was, on very than- very intoxicated and very very messed up.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So they say she hits the guardrail on the right front light, going seventy miles an hour. So this impact causes her to go across her vehicle and go out the passenger window. She goes across her vehicle the force of which knocks off her shoes and then she was then struck with the guardrail which removed her clothing after striking the guardrail she then flips back over the top of her car and at some point police say she was spinning on the top of her car before landing back on the highway and being hit by another by the original semi the first semi okay Before I continue, I want to specify that from this point on, this is all my speculation. Before, that was what the police said. I am in no way a trained expert, and this is just me speculating. But, I never took physics in high school, like, shout out to West Virginia Curriculum for not requiring that shit. But I'm pretty damn sure if she would have flown over the guardrail, that she would have flown over the guardrail. Like, she wouldn't have bounced back on top of her car if she flew out of her window, if she flew out of the passenger window, hit the guardrail. My assumption is she she would have tumbled over the guardrail and gone down the hill or what was on the other side of the guardrail. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how she would have bounced back.
1: There's no way she would have had enough, like, momentum to flip all the i mean i guess she could flip around but she wouldn't have had enough momentum to flip all the way around the guardrail all the way over her car in a spiraling motion and she was sounds- saying that
0: she was land she landed on top of her car and was spinning at some point which is like how the hell are you going to determine that
2: yeah like just- you don't have
0: enough to piece it together and then you're going to say she was spinning on top of her car but it just it seems very crazy and the physics of it I don't know. I don't know physics at all, but I just seems like common sense to me that if you're going to get thrown out of a car, you're not going to suddenly get a force knock you back in the same direction.
1: Were there any pictures of her clothes on the guardrail?
0: Oh yes, I will be posting those.
1: I would like to see a picture of that because if they're actually like as neat as it as They're the hanging says. there,
0: and if it was the guardrail that ripped off her clothing, why was the bra underneath the shirt and the shirt underneath the jacket? It would have gone jacket, shirt, bra. There's no way to take off your shirt before you take off your jacket. That's not possible. And they would have been
1: ripped off. It wouldn't have been like a clean take off. It would have been like ripped off of her body, I'm sure.
0: And in different locations. Mm -hmm. It would have been scattered around the highway. It wouldn't have been hanging on the guardrail. And the man who called it in reported that and he said that it was hanging there when he got there. So he claims that he has nothing to do with that. Well, the, excuse me, the second man that called it in with the more extensive comments, not the first man that just didn't give his name and hung up. Mm-hmm. So He could have hung it there. We don't know. We don't know who that man is. Her car was going uphill when it was found, so it must have continued in the same direction after the crash. And I just don't understand how, like, the motion of her body changed so dra- drastically. If, like, even the car is still going uphill. So it's not like any, at any point, the motion changed. Like, it after the accident, it's not like the car flipped around. And, like, started going the other way. So, like, there's no intense, like, change of motion. There's no intense, like, I feel like switch, of like, I don't know how to describe it. But the fact that she was just propelled out of her window. And her car was found in the same direction that she was traveling. It doesn't make sense to me that she was forced back towards the road. Not away from the road, over the guardrail.
1: Did it say what year her car was?
0: Her car was a Kia. I'm not positive of the year. The Kia Corporation does come into this case a little bit and make a statement about the situation, though.
1: Because I'm wondering, like, is the car, like, uphill, uphill? Like, is it facing? Is it on an incline?
0: It did say that it was, like, somewhat inclined. So, like, the fact that the motion, like, I feel like a car, if it was going uphill and there was no acceleration, it probably wouldn't go uphill. Like, if it was going downhill or flat, it would go if you weren't accelerating. But uphill just seems like... And the fact that the tire marks at the scene. Indicating that the car was accelerated after the accident.
1: Mm-hmm. Excuse me if you've already answered this question. I'm just um, But did anybody say if the car was in park? Anybody check the... The
0: car was still in drive. Let me confirm this in my notes. It says the keys were still in the ignition. The car was on and all the doors were locked. So I can only assume that the car was still in drive. If, she was, if it was an accident and like she wouldn't have had time to put the car in park
1: that's yeah, so what I'm just trying to think. I'm trying to just see if something
0: doesn't add up. Yeah. <laughs> These are some of the reasons why the family does not buy what the police are telling them. Her grandfather said that he returned to the scene and walked seven miles up and down the guardrail and could not find a single dent in the guardrail. Hmm. And I know that guardrails are supposed to be strong and, like, literally but built to prevent cars from crashing through them, but I think that there would be some pretty evident damage from a seventy mile an hour collision.
1: Or at least some like paint transfer.
0: Something that he could have documented. Yeah. And there's also a suspicious lack of blood on her car, especially on the roof, where police say she was spinning at one point after being impaled by the guardrail. So obviously she was gushing blood and it would have been all over the top of her car. But there is not very much in the family was very suspicious of that
1: wait there but there was blood on there the was blood
0: still. in the car there was blood in the car they just weren't thinking it would have been in the amount that it should have been if the police's story was completely correct
1: I mean, if you lose your
0: breast yeah
1: i imagine you would be bleeding a lot yeah
0: that is a very sensitive area and i'm sure you there is going to be a lot at the scene so there's also i've already touched on this but minimal damage to the car despite being crashed at 70 miles an hour and at a Force strong enough to throw her body out of the window. Car was found uphill, and there was tire tracks. That is all very suspicious. They also take issue with the fact that the keys in her car, found in the ignition, were missing a keychain of Jalea's, which was a gift from Toby and very sentimental to her. They said that she would not have given that away, and she, it's just, it doesn't make sense that her keys are there in the ignition without that keychain.
1: What did they say? What it was.
0: I think it was just like a letter for, it might have just been like a J or something like that, but it was just a nice keychain that Toby had got for her, and it was just sentimental because it was a gift from her sister. It was a big point of interest because they were convinced that she would not have given, like, that should have been their, where is the keychain?
1: What was the friend that they think she might have been arguing with?
0: Kirsten, there is friend, there's a, there was an argument over the keys, and okay. that's what Toby said in the phone calls and once we get into police reports on the night we will get more into that later they find this keychain that they were convinced that toby wouldn't have given away she like if she would have lost it it would have been a big deal um they found it with kirsten her friend that she was with that night and kirsten says that jaleigh gave it to her which i don't buy and her family doesn't buy also...
1: How did they find it on her? Did she admit to having it, or did they see her with it? I
0: think they saw her with it, and I they God. tried to make a police report, but the um, sheriff's office was like, we, there's no proof that we can prove that she stole this. Like, there's, no, we can't really do anything with that. So they dropped it, but that's just a very... There's nothing they can do with it, but it's suspicious, and they said it was sentimental, and they were suspicious of it from the go. Like, f- the second they got to the scene, they were like, where's her keychain? And then later down the line, they find it. So... If she was driving, why would she have been making multiple phone calls to her sister to come and get her? That just seems like some sort of, like, sick mental torment to put your sister through. Like, if she was drunk driving, it doesn't make sense to me that she was calling her sister once and saying to come get her and then calling her again. And, like, are you on the way? Like, you need to come get me. This is, like, making it seem like an urgent situation. And Toby said that she, uh, Jalea wouldn't tell her what was wrong, and she just was going to tell her when they got together which obviously never happened, which makes it even more suspicious. She never knows what they were fighting about, other than the fact that she overheard the very little uh, part about the keys. It just doesn't make sense to me that she was calling her best friend, her sister, to tell her to come and get her if she was making this decision and then like could possibly have happened to get into an accident, which happened, and then Toby stumbled upon the scene and saw what she saw. I don't think Jalea would have ever wanted that to happen to her sister. I don't think she would have put her sister through something like that if she was just going to make the decision to drink and drive anyway. Yeah. Another thing about the accident is there is no hair or fibers found on the glass from which Jalea's body was supposedly ejected out of. No hair or fibers from her clothing were found on the glass.
1: Blood? Was there even blood?
0: It doesn't say... I, I'm assuming that there was blood on the glass, but the fact that there's nothing else just seems a little too clean. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to get into the police reports on the night that this incident happened. And there was an individual who lived in an apartment that was legitimately right next to our first apartment, actually, that we lived in together. And I'm obviously not going to give the actual address or the actual names, but it was literally like her apartment was 223, and we were 224. So it was, it's pretty... It's pretty creepy. It was creepy. It's just a weird connection to this case. And the fact that we are not anywhere, like, close. Like, it's about an hour or so away to Parkersburg. So it's, like, even more creepy that it's connected to us in this way.
2: hmm
0: So the first police report I'm going to go over is coming from Toby, who is Jalea's sister. This was given the day of the incident.
1: That morning of?
0: The morning of. It was given November 19th, 2011. So it has to be, I'm guessing, like... 10 or 11, or just after they had, had time to process it somewhat. She tells police that she was going out with her friend Kirsten, who she hasn't known for very long. We've already talked about that. And the last text message that Jalea responded to her mother was around 9.50. And she said that she sent her a message around midnight that she got no response to as well. She also says that she got the impression that on the phone that they were at Kirsten's house when they first spoke to Jalea. At nine. This I was at like three The first call Oh and, the first in the call okay. Yes So she was under the impression That they were at Kirsten's house She also said that her sister Wouldn't tell her what was wrong And just sounded very upset And she wouldn't tell her When she got there Which so I went over already Which is weird That she was holding that from her But it also makes sense Because if you're like Just got into a fight With one of your friends And you're still literally In that friend's presence You're not going to want to Go over all the details Of what happened on the phone mm-hmm. Especially if they can still hear you
1: open up another fight
0: exactly toby says she didn't sound belligerently drunk she just sounded frantic and angry she said kirsten kind of annoyed her in the past so she didn't think this was too out of the ordinary but she did think it was a little over the top she was definitely concerned she gives the locations i discussed above in which jalea told her to pick her up and she says that the second time she spoke to jalea she was on the interstate and making sure she had left and if she was on the interstate driving herself at this point, like, I'm just going to go back to that same point of why would she have called and made sure that her sister was leaving if she was driving drunk on the interstate to pick her up? That doesn't make any sense to me. And Toby specifically says that she heard her talking to somebody else. So she's not on the interstate. She's not in a car alone at this point. The second call, which was at like 3.33 a.m., which was just eight minutes before the call about the car on the side of the guardrail, which, you pointed out, it doesn't necessarily give any um, evidence that there was a body there. It just says that there was a person there. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily say that there was a person who's dead or or a deceased body or anything like that.
1: Standing next to the car? Yeah,
0: literally. He said standing next to the car.
1: Did it say passenger side or driver's side? He
0: didn't. He wasn't specific in the phone call. Why would she have called if she was driving herself? she wasn't by herself because toby says she wasn't by herself and she heard somebody else so that's just it's very suspicious so now the police are gonna go over some phone calls that jalea had made the night of the incident she had made multiple phone calls to kirsten that night one at 147 one at 312 and one at 316 at 350 and 353 toby also calls kirsten asking where jalea is and only getting the answer the second time where she began to fight with kirsten and she says it just kind of went blank and that's when they were pulling on to the scene of the crime so at that point she was just like frantically asking kirsten where is my sister what happened like why isn't she answering toby called kirsten twice more around four ten in a panic which prompted text from kirsten asking if she was okay at 4 a.m 10 a.m and 11 a.m
1: she said are you okay at 4 a.m 10 a.m and 11 a.m
0: Kirsten was asking Tobby if Jalea was okay at those times. Hmm. Before the interview ends, she tells him about a fight that had happened at the Nippin Q, the bar that they were at the night of the incident, where Jalea had gotten into a fight with other girls, and one of them had hit Jalea's friend with a bottle and was kicked out. This was confirmed by all of Jalea's friends who were interviewed, and the bouncer who worked at the Nippin Q. So this didn't take place the night of the incident, but it took place at the same location of the incident, the nipping queue, which was a bar frequented by these individuals. It is also revealed that Jalea made multiple phone calls to an old fling of hers that night, Christopher. Toby was surprised by this because she didn't believe that they were currently talking. And I just think that's interesting since they were supposedly so close that... Jalea wouldn't have told Toppy that they were talking, and Toppy was kind of blindsided by all of these calls she had made this night to one of her old flings.
1: Did they say what time that these calls were made?
0: Um, there was numerous, numerous calls, and we're gonna get into it a little more because Christopher's role in this case is pr- uh, pretty important. So I'm gonna get into his statement with police eventually.
1: Wait, do they get into why they originally stopped their fling or relationship whatever they had
0: um i just think it was like it just wasn't working out okay. with them but there was extra drama so katie was also there one of the friends the night of the incident katie is also going to give her statement november 19th 2011 the day of the incident so her recollection is that she was picked up by kirsten at ten thirty, and they went to a friend brian's house and it seems like, like Brian's house was just a pregame of sorts. And at around 1 in the morning, they left Brian's to go to the Nip and Q, the bar that I've been talking about. Police questioned Brian, and he did not know Jalea before this night. So that's just something to note. So at this point in the night when the individuals are going to the Nip and Q, the group consists of Katie, Kirsten, Jalea, Freddie, and Jordan. Katie says they all stayed at the, the Nip and Q until the bar closed at around 3 a.m., and she left with Kirsten, Jaleah, Jordan, and Freddie. They go to Freddie's house to unlock the door so Jordan can get in, and then they go to Brian's, where Katie was assuming they were all leaving from. When Jaleah and Kirsten didn't get out of the car at Brian's, she asked them what they were doing. Kirsten said that she couldn't find her house keys and kept asking Jaleah where it was, but Jaleah didn't know. She said that she got into Freddy's car and that he would take them home.
1: Wait, who said that? Oh, Katie Katie, said that. Katie
0: saying that after she talked to Kirsten and Jalea because they weren't getting out, she said that they got into Freddy's car and he would take them home. She says that on the way home, they went to a McDonald's. After McDonald's, Katie says they were both dropped off by Freddy at Kirsten's. Katie also reports being picked up later that evening by Christopher at Kirsten's so there's a little bit of a love triangle going on here and katie and christopher are also having something going on currently so that adds a little bit of drama to the situation clearly christopher is more interested in katie at this point because he's picking her up that evening and not going with Julia after it ended mm-hmm. just one last thing to mention about katie is that her father is the a police lieutenant in west virginia
1: and Katie said that she had met...
0: Jalea. Jalea before That this was night. Brian. Oh, that was Brian. They okay. went to a party at this guy's house, and he said that he had never met Jalea before. But Katie and Jalea were familiar. They okay. weren't, like, best friends, but they were familiar. This was not the first time they had met. Okay. So the next friend we're going to get into is Kirsten. Kirsten is the only friend that refused initially to talk to police. Hmm. The day that they were interviewing everybody the 19th the same day of the incident she had attained a lawyer and was refusing to, to speak with police she was the only, like i said she was the only one involved in this case to feel the need to do so three days later 11 22 2011 she has her lawyer and she says okay i guess i'm ready to talk to police
1: wait, so, wait, wait, what, wait what day did you say that was
0: three days after okay so everybody gave their statements on the 19th. She gave her a statement on the 22nd.
2: Hmm.
0: After she had obtained a lawyer.
2: Hmm.
0: One One very important piece of Kirsten's statement is the fact that Freddie obtained them more booze at one point in the evening. Jalea is underage. I'm not sure about all of them, but Jalea, at least, was underage. But if he was providing alcohol to a minor who later that evening passed away in a car accident, I think there is some criminal responsibility there that has never at least been looked into by police so Kirsten says after the pregame at Brian's they go to the nip and queue and then they all leave together so throughout the night Kirsten's accounts match up with Katie's down to the locations and the individuals who were with them fast-forwarding to the point in the night where Jalea called Tobi Kirsten says that Jalea was on the phone with not only Toby before she had left the Nip and Q, but also a boy whose name has been blacked out. There's a lot of names that were blacked out from the sources, the police reports that I read, that um, Jalea's mother, Kim Davis, decided to black out to protect their identities. So I'm not positive if she was making a call to Christopher or somebody else who Kim Davis is deciding to protect the identity of. So Kirsten tells police that she didn't know uh, towards the end of the evening if Jay was talking to Tobby on the phone or this boy. But what is clear is the fact that she confirms that Jalea was at was on the phone with Tobby at one point. It is not clear if this was the three twenty eight phone call or the three thirty three phone call, but Tobby reports that she believes Kirsten was within earshot of both phone calls. So as I said, Kirsten and Katie's alibi lines up pretty well. They say they leave the Nippon queue They go to drop off Jordan, and then they go to Freddie's house, where they thought they were leaving from. They have this fight over the keys, and then Freddie, Kirsten, and Katie leave to go to McDonald's. Freddie then drops Kirsten and Katie off at Kirsten's house.
1: Did they ever say who was driving? Like who was originally like the what should have been the DD?
0: the dd would no that's not mentioned a lot of the statements mention the fact that not only jalea but kirsten was also drunk freddie was the one driving at mcdonald's though because a very very important piece of evidence is the cctv footage from mcdonald's
1: Wait, driving jalea's car
0: driving in freddie's car
1: driving freddie's car where was jalea's car at this time
0: freddie's house okay that's what they all had gone back there they left jalea was apparently very drunk at this point, at her car, alone.
1: And this was possibly when there was an argument about keys? Yes, or, okay. this, was,
0: this is right after that argument. Okay. They leave her alone at her car, drunk, which is just like, what the fuck? Like, that's not a good thing to do when you're a friend.
1: But that makes me wonder, like, what if the argument was, like, maybe they did have an argument and Jalea really did want to leave, and then there was an argument where they're like, no, I'm not giving you your keys, you're not driving like this. And then they ended. I mean, eventually ended up saying,
0: "Fuck this." That's a good point. That could have very well happened. That could have very well happened, but it doesn't make them any better no, for leaving they're them still, with the keys. Yes, and letting like knowing that she could have. Been. And it actually makes it worse because if they're going to give in, because she still has that like very strong intention to drive. So they obviously know that she's going to drive if they give her these keys.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But the argument was not because Jalea didn't have her keys. The argument was because Kirsten didn't have her keys.
1: Interesting. In, in, Kirsten said that.
0: There was, um, it was kind of back and forth in police reports. Some people didn't have like very clear accounting of it, but I found more sources saying that it was Kirsten's keys that were lost. than it was delay keys. So while your theory definitely has some weight to it, I don't know
2: how much if it that actually... really makes
0: sense for this or not. So their alibi puts them at McDonald's after leaving Delayer at her car at Freddy's, and they say that Jalea was not with them, it was just the three of them at the McDonald's drive thru. We do have some evidence from the McDonald's CCTV footage that shows Freddy in the McDonald's drive thru around the time of their alibis, but it really only shows Freddy. And we're going to get into this um, CCTV footage a little bit later, but for now, just know that. Their alibi is being supported by footage that really only shows Freddy. You cannot make out anybody else in the vehicle. So now we're going to talk about Chris, who was the individual who was an old fling of Jalea's. He confirms everybody else's story but has an interesting addition to it. Christopher says that Jalea wanted to leave early on in the night and asked her if he would leave with her at the Nip and Q, but his friends talked him into staying at the bar. He is also the one to later pick up Katie, which I already mentioned, which connects him a little bit more to the case. Another thing that he told police is that he had heard rumors about a car chasing Jalea's car on the interstate, and he believed very well that foul play could be involved in this case. And he also confirms that Julia had made numerous calls to him the night of the incident.
1: He never said, like, who he thought the foul play could be involved with? He didn't
0: point any fingers, no. Did he seem like he wanted to, did they say? He did say, actually, he didn't point a direct finger, but he did say that Freddy was not a very good character.
2: Hmm.
0: He said that he was kind of suspicious of Freddy. Interesting to me that we have two confirmations of Jalea trying to leave. We have her calling her best friend, her sister, Toby, saying, come pick me up, I want to leave. And then we also have her talking to an old fling of hers, saying, can we leave? Maybe she felt connected like, this, he was not in the group that they, she was hanging out with that night. Maybe she saw this old fling and she was like, okay, I know this person. This is security. Like, maybe I can get myself out of this situation if there was something more sinister happening that evening.
1: Like, yeah, like, maybe they actually, maybe that's why she didn't mention it to her sister because they really didn't have anything going on before that night and she saw him and was like, please help me.
2: Like
0: Exactly. Yeah. She just saw whatever she could cling on to and she was like, I know him and I don't feel safe right now, so I want to get as close to him as I can. The next police report we're going to go over is the 911 caller that originally spoke to the sheriffs at the scene of the incident. They called him back a few days after to get some more details from him and if he could uh, provide anything that would have been of assistance to them. He says once again that he saw a semi-truck run over Jalea's body shortly after he had arrived to the scene. And he also says that police were on the scene shortly after he was there as well. They asked him if anything struck him as odd about the incident, and the first thing that he mentioned was the fact that the clothes were hanging on the guardrail. He also made a comment about the location of the blood splatter. He said it didn't make sense to him that the car had hit on the right side of the road, and the blood splatter was on the opposite side. And remember that this is the man who literally watched her body be hit by a semi, so clearly he would be expecting there to be blood in that area, but he was referring to the initial impact. He was also very uneasy about the blood on her jacket. He said it looked more like it was used to soak up blood, the blood on her jacket, which would have been impossible if it was quickly ripped from her body. And one last piece that he said that that didn't make sense to him, and this is a quote from him. It says, The body being partially nude, that did not add up to me. It did not add up. So I just thought that was a perfect quote to include in this podcast because it's the name and none of this is adding up. Clearly, even somebody who witnessed it says it's not adding up.
1: Did they ever find her breast?
0: That's not really touched on. Interesting. They recovered various pieces of her from the interstate, but I didn't didn't read specifically if they recovered her breast or not. So... This next police report comes from an individual who is being protected by Kim Davis. He reports a lot of information to the police the day after the incident, and he says that he thought it was all common knowledge, but this was not the case. He has a similar account of the evening, including the fight about the key between Jalea and Kirsten, but a very different conclusion to the evening. He says, while Freddie was driving on the interstates, the two girls got into a fight where Freddie pulled over, and then pulled Jalea out of the car and Kirsten hit Jalea's head on the guardrail. He reports that they got back into the car and then ran over Jelea with her own car and then abandoned the car. He was unable to report if they left the scene on foot or were picked up and he said that he had heard several things from several people but it all points back to Freddy. He believed this was all common knowledge and that the police were on the hunt for Freddy. So he also says that that evening he reported seeing two black males in a car he didn't recognize at a local gas station. He said that they were dressed like they were going hunting, but they obviously weren't hunters. I think that's odd because like, how the hell are you going to tell if somebody's a hunter just by looking at them? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, that part of the statement seems like it screams racial profiling to me. He just saw these two black guys that he didn't recognize and was like, this is suspicious. This person ends the statement with accusing Kirsten of having to do with the incident, and he even goes as far as to call her evil.
1: And this man's name is blacked Omitted. out. Omitted.
0: It's blacked out. And Kim Davis is the one. She made a post saying that she chose to black out his name because she doesn't want him associated. He knows, She knows that he didn't have anything to do with her daughter's death, is what Kim Davis is saying. So now we're going to get into some of the evidence that is surrounding this case so as i already mentioned there is mcdonald's cctv footage that captures freddie he is able to be seen on the footage from the time period of 3:27 a.m to 3 32 a.m this is during the time of the 328 phone call that jay made to her sister in which she believed that she was with other people kirsten katie and freddie all say that jalea was not with them at mcdonald's but we cannot make out who was in the car, so it really could have been Jalea. This is accepted as the three's alibis, and police do not think Jalea was in the car with them. But my question is, if they were in the car, I mean, if they were at McDonald's at 3:28, and Jalea made the call to Toby at 3:28, and Jalea was with people, who the hell else was Jalea with that night that she would have been talking to, especially about her keys? There is no mention about anybody else with them other than Kirsten and Katie and Freddie and Jordan. Jordan is pretty omitted of any suspicion because they drop him off and everybody says that they drop him off before any of the other things happen, like the fight over the keys and them going to McDonald's. So that is just, it doesn't make sense to me. They have this phone call at 328 and they have pictures of them. At McDonald's, like, those those two things do not add up. Who was Jalea talking to? Who was she talking to at 333 after they had already left McDonald's and they were apparently on the interstate? Was she just talking to herself? Because Toby even says that she heard another voice. Mm -hmm. So she wasn't alone. It doesn't make sense to me. It does not seem like she was alone, but it's just accepted that she was not in the car with them at McDonald's and that Kirsten was not with Jalea. In my mind, either Kirsten was with Jalea at the time of the accident or Jalea was with them at McDonald's. It doesn't make sense that she was alone. It does not make any sense to me. It doesn't make sense to Toby. It doesn't make sense to her family. It doesn't make sense. Like, the phone calls do not match up in any way with the McDonald's footage. And that is just one of the biggest things in this case that screams to me that something is suspicious. Aside from the fact that her clothes were found like that. Like, that just doesn't make any sense.
1: Could you see that there was definitely somebody else in the car? Yeah, you
0: can definitely make out that there's other people in the car. And, but it's pretty blurry of even Freddy. Like, I, like, it's confirmed, like, it's accepted that it is Freddy. So I'm sh- I'm sure that they had some details that were uh, distinguishable. But they, you cannot make out the details of anybody else in the car. So I'm now going to talk about a few other things that just don't add up in this case. So all of the doors were locked in her car when they were found on the road. The Kia Corporation released a statement saying that the particular model of car would not have locked all of the doors upon impact. This means one of many things for me, okay? So, one, somebody else could have locked the door after the crash. Two, somebody else was in the car during the crash. And the police used data from the car's crash report system to determine that there was nobody else in the car. But if the car was malfunctioning to the point of locking the doors when it wasn't supposed to, can we really trust the crash report records? Like Maybe it was wrong. Maybe there was somebody else in the car. That just makes a lot of things more confusing to me because you can't be accepting this crash report data as reliable if the car was apparently doing something that it was not supposed to do upon crashing. And the Kia Corporation came out directly. like They sent a statement to the police department saying that this should not have happened.
1: If she really did, if she really was the only person in the car and she was driving drunk and um, flew out the window, I can imagine all the windows or the doors would be locked because whenever you get in a car, your doors automatically lock whenever you start driving. Yeah, but
0: that's the thing Like the Kia Corporation was saying that this model does not have that feature.
1: Oh, I thought you said after like in a wreck, it wouldn't automatically lock.
0: Okay, yeah, no, that is what I was saying. So what are you saying?
1: Like, whenever you know whenever you get in your car and you start driving for, like, a minute, your car door is automatically locked.
0: Oh, okay, I see what you're saying. Also, in their statement, they were basically alluding to the fact that in an accident, they should be unlocked so that first responders can get to the Oh, they're saying, Like, I think that it was specifically the opposite. Okay. I mean, what you're saying could be, that could make some sense, but I'm thinking that Kia was like, this is wrong. It shouldn't be doing this. It should have been doing this. This car was malfunctioning.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. And that's when, okay. And that, if it's malfunctioning that bad, then the report definitely could be okay. Gotcha. On the same page.
0: I like that input though. So that's like really the last piece of like hard evidence that we have from this, but there's definitely a lot of like sketchy things surrounding the um, this case. So like I said in the beginning, a lot of the sources I got come from a Facebook page made by Jalea's mother called Justice for Jalea, and a majority of the videos that the mother posted over the years with links were taken down by YouTube or the channel holders, and I couldn't find them. I was able to find like one interview, but most of them were just like links to uh, dead ends, and I wasn't able to find the videos. And another thing that's even sketchier is, there is an entire podcast about this case hosted by Emily Nestor, and she was looking into all the suspicious aspects surrounding the case. She made an entire season of this podcast, and she was working directly with the family, she uh, regularly interviewed the family and she even appeared on an Investigate Discovery episode of the case where she was saying that it was suspicious and clearly that the police were not, like they had not done their job in this case and there was something more. But then, Emily completely changed her mind on the entire situation and now thinks it's just a drunk driving accident. She even calls people who believe Kim Davis's narrative that this is a homicide a quote, idiot which is on a Facebook post she made. So those are her words and not mine. So all of her podcast has been wiped out from the internet. I could find none of the audios and I looked hard. I wanted to see what this girl had to say and what could have caused her to like pivot on her stance so intensely. It doesn't make sense to me that you would put so much work that you would literally go on Investigate Discovery, which is like the crime channel of like that is the crime channel and go on an episode saying that you think this is suspicious and then double back on that and then start calling people an idiot for believing the mom that it was suspicious and possibly a homicide. It doesn't sit right with me that that happened. It seems like maybe there was hush money. It seems like maybe she was scared by somebody, but I just don't, I don't know.
1: On a different, I guess, perspective of that, um, which is probably way less likely, but I don't know, who knows? Would if something happened, If she, since she worked so closely with the family, would if something happened between her and the family?
0: That could be possible, because they are not in good terms anymore. Like, like, Kim was posting about her on the Facebook page, and you can just tell that there was very bad blood. Mm-hmm. There was also reports of a woman who gave a statement saying that she watched Jalea get chased on the interstate by another car, and that she was beaten and had basically like a full statement of like a murder but she was um found to be giving complete bullshit and was even arrested for interfering with an investigation
1: where did this woman come into play Like was she a caller was she somebody that was supposedly there that she night? was
0: not she was not supposedly there that night she was just a random individual who kind of like inserted herself into the case so that gives it a lot of like maybe this person is one of their five seconds of fame like that's a really fucked up thing to do But the conspiracy theorist in me loves a good conspiracy theory, and if the police are trying to cover this up, why wouldn't they, like, arrest arrest somebody for interfering with an investigation that is reporting exactly what they don't want to hear?
1: And that matches the report to what that one guy thought was general knowledge, in a way.
0: See, it did, but it didn't, because it was her—the woman's report said that she was being chased by a car— and then his report says that they were all driving in Jalea's car, and then at one point used Jalea's car as a weapon against her. But Freddie was driving, but it was still Jalea's car that they had ran over her with.
1: I thought there was one point where you said that she was being chased down, but like previously, somebody had said that. I might be tripping.
0: <laughs> there were a lot of rumors surrounding this case, so it was hard to decipher between the rumors. And statements that actually had some other statements to back them up. Mm -hmm. That is about all we have on this case. And it doesn't seem like the police are very interested in reopening the case. They think that their conclusion is uh, solid. And this was just a horrific drunk driving accident. So it really just leaves us wondering, was this just a tragic drunk driving accident Or was this something more sinister? It definitely seems like it has potential to be more sinister. We have connections to police. We have people obtaining lawyers before they choose to speak to police. We have alcohol being purchased for minors by an adult. And then that minor later ends up dead. So we have a lot of things that are very sinister in this case. So I'm interested to hear what everybody makes of all of this evidence. Let me know on the Instagram at NAU podcast, Or you can connect with me on Facebook. I have a discussion group for the Not Adding Up podcast. And guys, one last thing if you take anything away from this case. It's that drinking and driving is never worth it. Please do not get behind the wheel if you feel that you are intoxicated. Do what Jalea was doing and call somebody and have them come pick you up. Do not... Make the decision to drive a vehicle if you're intoxicated. Call an Uber and put the Uber on the same credit card that you've been drinking with all night. Call your mom, call your sister, call your brother, call your best friend, call anybody. But just do not get behind the wheel and drive drunk. It never ends well. And people lose loved ones every day because of it.
1: People would 110% rather wake up in the middle of the night to come and get you rather than get that phone call
0: or wake up in the middle of the night and then come and get you to discover your body on the road like toby davis did in this situation so just please think of your loved ones think of everyone who cares about you and make good decisions if you are going to go out and drink with that being said i wanted to thank my co-host for this episode and see how she feels about the case
1: very it's a very emotional case i think there's definitely something weird going on i can't see the police like what the police say about her going out the window that none of that makes any sense to me and i just feel like a lot of the stories don't i guess they add up but in a way there's a lot of discrepancies where they really matter and um like pat said before there's a lot of Suspicious involvement with different people, I think there's definitely something very weird. And I do agree that that one woman that said that, I can't say I agree, but I definitely do see it being very likely that the cops only arrested her because she knows something and they don't want her giving any information or changing anybody's minds.
0: Yeah, I definitely think I agree with you there, and there is some suspicious... things surrounding this case I don't think the police have it right but I don't know if I would go as far as to accuse any of the people she was with that night of homicide I just wish that there was more to go off of other than just like these police reports of the incident
1: I think they definitely should have done something especially to the person who supplied alcohol to a minor this situation should have had something be done something
0: Yes, and that's definitely how uh, Jalea's family feels. If you want to learn anything else about the case, you can feel free to go to Justice for Jalea on Facebook. Her mother is running that group where she posts case updates. She hasn't really posted very much frequently, but that is where I got most of my sources for this case. Thank you everyone for listening, and I hope that you tune in again soon for another case that just does not add